Well, I know it's up for debate, but if you were to ask me who the greatest basketball player of all time would be, without hesitation, I would tell you it is Michael Jordan. We can have discussions about this, but uh, back in the day, he was the most uh, amazing and entertaining player. When I talk to younger people about him who know about Johnny Manziel, I'm like, he's kind of like the Johnny Manziel of basketball. When the ball was in his hands, you just never knew what was going to happen. But it was going to be exciting. And this man had moves that were amazing. He could soar like few people could, and his legacy lives on. But during the time, back in 1991, early on, Gatorade decided they wanted to capitalize on his popularity. And so they signed him to a 10-year, $13.5 million sponsorship. And they came up with a nice little commercial, which, which showed Michael Jordan some of his best moves interspersed with him playing on just a, a neighborhood basketball court with adults and with kids. And it had this little uh, catchy tune that went along with it. It goes like this. I'm not going to sing it. Just read it for you. <laughs> Sometimes I dream that he is me. You've got to see that's how I dream to be. I dream I move. I dream I groove like Mike. If I could be like Mike, like Mike, oh, if I could be like Mike. What's interesting is Gatorade's sales didn't really go up, but it helped cement Jordan as a very likable guy. And so many people looked to him and just wanted to be like him. And indeed, he was a role model for so many people. Let me ask you this question. When it comes to following Jesus, are there any servants of Jesus you look to for inspiration? Not just back in the day, when Jesus was around, when his early disciples were around. But are there people today, living, breathing, breathing examples of folks that you can look to for inspiration, people that you actually might want to imitate? Well, we've been working our way through this New Testament book of Philippians. It was written by the Apostle Paul. There's some Christians living in Philippi, a church that he helped start some 10 years earlier. Now he's in his fourth year of prison awaiting a hearing before Nero the emperor. And he writes to them because he's received a gift from them by the hand of a man named Epaphroditus. And he's writing back to them to encourage them, to encourage this church that was in the midst of a hotbed of patriotism and emperor worship. And his overall theme is to encourage them to live their lives in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No doubt they receive inspiration from Paul. He was the one who helped start that church. The, the very first converts to the Lord Jesus came about because he was preaching the gospel in their city, the first city he went to in, in Europe. And now he's going to send back through the hand of Epaphroditus a letter to them. And he's going to highlight for them two people that he thinks are worthy of imitation that they could be like these men, that would be a great thing. And of course, those two men are Timothy and Epaphroditus. We heard them mentioned in the scripture reading for us this morning. Later in this letter, he's going to tell these Philippian followers of Jesus these words. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. See, what the Apostle Paul knew, something that maybe we fail to appreciate, is that even in something like the Christian life, we need role models. We need examples. We need people we can look to for inspiration. We can say, I want to be like them. And so we're going to call our study today, Your Servants for Jesus' Sake. And this is a 
kind of a, a, a little bit of a detour that he's making in this letter. We've, we've seen some amazing passages, some very memorable ones, some that you've told me are your favorite passages. And now as he talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus, we might be tempted to, to kind of just say, okay, this is interesting, but let's move on to some more good stuff. But let me encourage you, there is some good stuff here that we need to mind. So he says in verse 19 these words, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Paul's in prison. He has Timothy, one of the few people who are, who are there ministering to him. And he wants to send Timothy to them, both so they could be encouraged, but also so that Paul could be encouraged by further news of how they are doing. Some of you know who Timothy is, but if you're not familiar, let me just run down a brief resume of his. He was a son of a Greek father and a Jewish mother, from whom he learned the scriptures. Likely he was converted by the Apostle Paul's preaching in Lystra, his home city, the first time he went through there. He would later call Timothy my true son and a true, true child in the faith. He was commissioned as an evangelist and became Paul's right-hand man. He was entrusted with Paul with some, uh, by Paul with some very difficult assignments like Corinth and, and Ephesus. And he was imprisoned at least one time for preaching about Jesus. And so Paul says he wants to send this person to them so that they can be encouraged, so that he can, he can receive news about how they're doing. I love how one commentator put it. Philip Johnson, or I'm sorry, Dennis Johnson put it like this. Although the stated mission of these men is to bring news of Paul's trial, Paul's implicit motive is to place in the midst of this Philippian congregation men who exemplify Christ-like humility and others-centered concern. In view of the interpersonal frictions to which Paul refers, and we've talked about that some here at the church, the church needs to see such reflections of Jesus' servant heart. Timothy and Epaphroditus will be replicas of Jesus, the servant in whom believers can see what selflessness and sacrifice look like in an attitude and action. So Paul wants to send Timothy to them, and he says this about him, For I have no one like him, who will be genuinely interested in your welfare. That word like is an interesting word in, in the Greek language. It, it can literally be translated of equal soul. I have no one of equal soul as Timothy. What a high commendation that Paul gives to this man. I have no one like him. There's no one of equal soul that I can send to you to encourage you. And he says this also of Timothy. He will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Where did Timothy learn this? How did he learn to be genuinely concerned about the welfare of others? Well, I would make the case that he learned it from the Apostle Paul. Uh, in the letter to the uh, Thessalonians, Paul would write these words to Christians living there. We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. And then the next breath, he says this, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And so Timothy, no doubt, learned to be genuinely concerned about the welfare of others from the Apostle Paul. And so Paul says of him, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. If you've been following along with us in this study of the book of Philippians, 
you know that he's echoing something he said earlier in this chapter. Remember, Paul said, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And so Paul says, When I think about who I can send you, everyone is thinking about themselves. But Timothy, his interests are those of Jesus Christ. And what is Jesus' interest? The spread of the gospel and the care of his people. And Paul goes on to say about Timothy, he says, You know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. We've already heard how Paul referred to Timothy as his true son in, in the faith. But what's interesting here, in the ancient culture, it was, it was very common for sons to follow in the footsteps of their fathers, but they would be seen as servants of their fathers. But here he's saying that he served with me. Not that he was serving me, but he served with me. In fact, you may remember from the very first verse of this letter, Paul refers to himself and Timothy as servants of Jesus. And we can also just recall back from earlier in chapter 2 how Jesus himself emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. <laughs> and so here's Timothy, along with Paul, servants, for the sake of these Philippians. And we get to have them serve us as we hear Paul's words about what they were like. So in verse 23, Paul says, I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I hear how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come. Paul says, I'm going to send him to you, but I need him to be with me here first. As soon as I hear how this trial goes before Nero, I'm going to send him off to you. In fact, I hope I can come myself. Remember, he doesn't know if he's going to be released from prison or if he's going to be executed for the faith. But this is his intention, to send Timothy as soon as possible. So, let's just get a snapshot of Timothy. Paul's protege in the faith, going clockwise. He was a distinguished soul without equal, genuinely concerned about the welfare of believers, not self-seeking, but seeking the interests of Jesus. He has proven worth, reliable and trustworthy, and he served to advance the gospel right alongside Paul. And so Paul spotlights Timothy, and he wants the Philippians to look upon him, as we're called to look upon him as well, to keep our eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Timothy is worthy of emulation. He's following Jesus, he's following Paul, and now he's being spotlighted as someone that people can look to and say, I want to be like Timothy. So that's Timothy. There's also Epaphroditus. Paul goes on in verse 25 and says this, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because, he, uh, because you heard that he was ill. And I'm not sure if Paul fell ill on his way to see Paul. This is a journey of about 800 miles from Philippi to the prison cell where Paul was in Rome, or if he became sick once he arrived. I tend to think that probably he fell sick along the way because um, there was plagues and there were um, malaria issues in the Roman culture at that time. And that's probably when he sent a letter back to his friends in Philippi saying he's not well. And so they're hearing that he's not well and he's distressed. But let's just highlight a few of the, the designations that Paul uses here to describe him, beginning with the last two. He calls him your messenger and minister to my need. Uh, this me word messenger in the original Greek language is the word apostle. It just simply means someone who is sent on a mission with a message. And so he's the Philippians apostle to him, sending a message from them to him, but also their minister to his need. And remember, they had collected an offering 
to help Paul out. Back in the day, if you're in prison, you didn't have anyone bringing you food, you starved to death because the Romans didn't feed you. You're dependent on the, the goodwill of other people. And so they're sending him help and support. So they're, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Epaphroditus is their minister, their messenger to him. But he also uses some interesting words here. He calls Epaphroditus my brother. And this is not his physical brother. He's thinking of his brother in the faith. And he might have been one of the first converts when he preached there 10 years earlier. From that word fellow worker, we have no doubt that he labored alongside Paul when Paul was helping to establish that church there. And he calls him a fellow soldier. Now, sometimes people get nervous with this language because we are living in a day where we're very aware of people who use religion and violence to end their means. But this is not what the New Testament means when it talks about a soldier. Paul elsewhere, for example, in Ephesians 6, talked about this. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, that is, other human beings, but against the rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So when he called Epaphroditus a fellow soldier, this is what he means, that he's in this battle spiritually alongside him for the faith of the gospel. And so Paul says to them, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, for he has been longing for you all. And has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. They're distressed because they heard that Epaphroditus was ill. So Epaphroditus is now distressed that they're distressed. And it seems that Paul is distressed, that Epaphroditus is distressed, that they're distressed. And so he says, I want to send him back to you. Basically, I think probably as soon as this letter is finished. Because he's been longing for them. He's distressed that they're worked up about him being ill. And then Paul says this. This is interesting. For indeed he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. He says here that Epaphroditus was near death. And traveling through chapter 2 here, we have that example of Jesus, remember, who humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. And I think it's no coincidence that Paul is highlighting how Epaphroditus, in his service to the gospel, served to the point of death. And Paul says God had mercy on him. Even though he was near death, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me. Catch this. Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Now, couldn't we say to the Apostle Paul, well, if Epaphroditus died, he would, he would be with Christ. You should be happy about that, right? We tend to say things like that as Christians. You know, we, we tend to, to downplay anything of sorrow happening right now and just say, hey, look on the bright side. And Paul would say, of course, we can look on the bright side. I'm sorrowful, yet I rejoice, as he says to the Corinthians. But he says, look, if, if Epaphroditus had died because he was seeking to serve me, not only would I have had sorrow because of his death, but he died seeking to serve me. I'd have sorrow upon sorrow. So this is just a little caveat here, my friends. But don't think of sorrow as something bad. We've mentioned this before. It bears mentioning again. For the record, there is nothing spiritual about acting as if life does not hurt when life hurts. So says H.B. Charles. For the record, there is nothing spiritual about acting as if life does not hurt when life hurts. And so Paul says, look, if, if he had passed away, I would have had sorrow upon sorrow. But God had mercy on him, brought him through it, had mercy on me as well. And so he says in verse 28, I am the more eager to send him. If Epaphroditus is eager to come see you, I'm actually more eager to send him to you than he is eager to see you. 
And that's saying something. And he says, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. He says that he wants to send them back so that they can rejoice with him. They receive their brother back, their fellow congregant, their fellow disciple in Jesus. And Paul says he wants them to rejoice. This, this is what he's working for all the time, even in prison. Earlier in this letter, he says, I'm working for your progress and joy in the faith. He's later going to call them to rejoice always. And he says, I want to send them to you that you may rejoice, but also that I may be less anxious. Here Paul is worried about the Philippians. He talks about it being an anxiety. But notice what Paul is... Get this around your, your head, if you could. Paul is sitting in prison, and he's thinking about the welfare of these Philippian believers. He loves having Timothy there. He's his right-hand man, but he wants to send Timothy to him as soon as he can. He loves having Epaphroditus there, his brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. They must have great stories about how things were 10 years before when they started that church. But he's going to send them back. What is Paul doing here? Did you catch it? Paul, in humility, is counting others more significant than himself. He's looking not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. What a seasoned follower of Jesus. I don't know about you, but if I was in Paul's position, I'd be like, I'm going to hang on to them for a while. Y'all are out there and y'all are free. I need them here with me. So, yeah, one of these days. But that's not Paul. Even though he's in prison, even though he doesn't know if he's going to make it out alive, he's thinking about the welfare of others. And so he goes on and says in verse 29, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. He has no doubt they're going to be joyful, but he wants them to celebrate when, they, when Epaphroditus gets back. And he wants them to honor him. He said, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. I think in English to us, that little last phrase sounds almost like a dig. It's not meant to be a dig. It's simply a realization. They're 800 miles away, and that little church couldn't just come on a trip and see him. But he was able to do what the whole church wasn't able to do. But get this, he nearly died for the work of Christ. I love what uh, James A. Motier said in his commentary of this. He says, In Epaphroditus we are brought face to face with a man in whom the example of Jesus Christ shines, a man whose consecrated devotion to Christ was evident in the way he served other Christians and worked to spread the gospel. So here's a portrait of Epaphroditus, again, clockwise. He's a true spiritual brother in Christ, a fellow worker and soldier in the gospel, a willing messenger and minister to the needs of others, a deep concern for the emotional health of others, a willingness to risk his life for the work of Christ, one who is obedient to the point of death. And so Paul spotlights him and says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. So let me summarize this, my friends. In these servants of Jesus, we see people worthy of honor and imitation because they lived lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus. So I know what you're thinking. This is very interesting. Well, what does this have to do with me? How does this help me as I seek to figure out how to follow Jesus? Well, let me give you three points of application as we think about this. Here's the first one. Let's imitate those who follow Jesus well. When I asked you earlier, do you have any servants of Jesus right now that you look to for inspiration? That you can say, I want to be like that Christian. It was an intentional question. 
Because you and I need that. Paul knows that we need that. That's why he's showing Timothy and Epaphroditus off and bragging on them, saying, you guys need to to be like them. Later in the book of Philippians, he's going to tell them, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul himself is very conscious of of being an example to people of what it means to, to follow Jesus. And he knows that as you seek to grow as a disciple of Jesus, it's helpful to see what it looks like in the lives of others. So do you have anyone that you can look to? Look at how Paul thinks about his own Christian life. To the Corinthians, he said this, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In other words, as he preached about the gospel of Jesus Christ and and God opened hearts to receive the message that he said, it was like they they became his children. And he thought of them as a father to his young spiritual children. He says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy. There's Timothy again. That's why I sent Timothy to you, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. Here's one of those difficult assignments I mentioned. If you know anything about the Corinthian church, uh, they were kind of all over the place, and there are a lot of difficulties going on there. You can read about it in First and Second Corinthians. They seem to even get at odds with Paul. But here he wants to send Timothy to them to remind them of Paul's ways so that they can imitate him. In fact, he would say it bluntly, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul is saying, look, as I follow Jesus, I want you to be able to look at me and seek to follow me. So let me ask you this question. Actually, just a note, especially for those who are, how should I put it, uh, more seasoned followers of Jesus, who've been around the block a few times, who've walked with Jesus longer than some of the people in this room have been alive. Let me say something to you. First of all, thank you. Thank you for being an example to us of the Lord Jesus Christ, of what it means to follow him. I know as I look at some of you who are older than me, I, I look to you and You inspire me. So I just want to say thank you. But I also want to say this. We still need you. Don't think that that your time of usefulness is over. It's not. Let me remind you of what the psalmist said in Psalm 71. Oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Here he's saying, Lord, give me the strength and power to, to, be, to declare your greatness to those who are coming after me, to this rising generation. And so for those of you who are seasoned followers of Jesus, thank you, but we still need you. We still need your counsel. We still need your perspective on life. So please stay engaged. I want you to be able to think about your own life and say, I do want people to look at my life and find encouragement to keep on following Jesus. Look, you don't have to be older. You can be a younger person and still have this thought. I do want people to look at my life and find encouragement to keep on following Jesus. I remember when I was a senior at Texas A&M, I grabbed one of the guys who was in my church. He was in high school and took him out to eat pizza back when Mr. Gaddy's used to be on South College over there. And we went, and I just wanted to encourage him to hear more about his life and see how I could encourage him spiritually. And at one point in that conversation, he said this, I can't believe that a senior at Texas A&M would want to hang out with me. On one level, it was nothing. We just got together to have pizza. But for him, it was everything. 
And to this day, I'm still in contact with this guy. We see each other every once in a while, have, have a meal together, we send each other texts. So even if you're not a seasoned follower of Jesus in the sense of having been around for a long time, that doesn't mean you can't have an impact on other people. And so let me encourage you to think about how you can do that. Because we need to imitate those who follow Jesus well. Here's a second point of application. Let's aim to be the best servants of Jesus we can be. And therefore, the best version of ourselves. I want to encourage you to strive to be the best follower of Jesus, the best servant of Jesus you can be. Remember what Paul said just in the, in the previous passage we looked at. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, in following Christ, we have divine power. It is God who works in us to even want to follow Jesus. And, and he works in us to be able to, to be servants of Jesus. Remember Paul at one point said, we make it our aim to please him. So let me ask you this question. What if right here and right now, there was one follower of Jesus in this town who excelled in being the best servant of Jesus they can possibly be by God's grace? Why can't that one Christian be you? Someone says, you don't know the things I've done. You don't know how imperfectly I followed Jesus. You don't know how I screwed up, how I've hurt people. No, I don't. But if that's what's resonating most in your head, you're listening to lies that seek to define you by the worst that you've done. You see, in Christ, all of our sins are covered. They are forgiven. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ that we're clothed in, these garments of salvation the scriptures talk about. And so, yes, or I should say, no, none of us follow Jesus as perfectly as we ought to. But that doesn't mean that we can't strive today to be a better servant of Jesus than we were yesterday and this week to be better servants of Jesus than we were last week. See, here's a paradox, my friends. The closer to Jesus we become, the more conscious of how far we have to go. And at the same time, others will notice how much like Jesus we're becoming. This is a paradox in the Christian life. I don't have this verse up there, but there's this place in in 1 Timothy where Paul's writing to his young protege in the faith, encouraging him, reminding him of his own testimony. And he said to him, I am the chief of sinners. Not that I used to be. I am right now. And we've talked about this before, but we could have followed the Apostle Paul around all the time, I'm sure, and we would not see a man who sinned. Um, we wouldn't see him kicking his dog, and we wouldn't see him throwing cups at people or whatever. We would see someone who was eminently like Jesus, but he was conscious of the own struggle, his own struggles in his heart and, and how, how unlike Jesus he was. And that's, that's the paradox. The, the closer we get to Christ, the more we realize how far we have to go to be like him. But other people look at us and they go, you know what? That person looks an awful lot like Jesus. There's a song that came out back in, I think it was the year I graduated high school by Steve Green. I listened to it recently and it's, it's kind of a little bit cheesy, I think. And, and if it's one of your favorite songs, I apologize on that. I don't, don't mean to, it just sounds 1988, that's what I'm trying to say. But the words are relevant today. He writes, May all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe, and the lives we live inspire them to obey. We could do that, couldn't we? Sure, the fire of our devotion is not what it could be, but today's a new day. 
One of the reasons we're gathered here together is to be encouraged to pursue Christ. So let's strive for that. The first point of application, my friends, was let's imitate those who follow Jesus well. The second point was let's aim to be the best servants of Jesus we can be. And here's the third and final point. Let's not forget the gospel. My friends, the gospel is not a call to be like Timothy or Epaphroditus or Paul or even to be like Jesus. The gospel is a proclamation about the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So don't leave here today thinking you have to be the good news to this world. Jesus is. And your life becomes good news as you highlight and spotlight him. As you strive to become the best servant of Jesus, you can other people can look at you and go, wow, I want to learn more about this amazing person who so inspired this person to become the best that they can be. Paul would put it like this. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. My friends, what made Paul great, what made Timothy great, what made Epaphroditus great, and arguably one of the things that made Jesus so great was the willingness to become servants of God. And the way that fleshed itself out is they became servants of everyone. And so we don't proclaim ourselves. We're not seeking to, to toot our own horns. We want to toot the horn of Jesus and declare how great he is. He is Lord. But we are servants of him. So here's the final question for you. What if the good news about Jesus so inspired and empowered you to be like Paul, like Timothy, like Epaphroditus, that others could look at you and imitate you as you follow Christ. You probably won't get a nice song like, I want to be like Mike. But what if people could look at you and say, that's a Christian that I want to be like. May God make it so. Mercy Hill Church, may the grace of God enable you to proclaim Jesus as Lord and yourselves as servants of all, all for Jesus' sake.